Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Well, praise God. So grateful for a chance to worship and to praise the Lord together. And I just want to thank George and the team and the band for worshiping with us and leading us in worship. And I pray that so far your spirit has been encouraged and your spirit has been just strengthened and that you can feel like, you know what, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are right now, that God is with you and that God is leading and God is a part of your journey. And as George said, we are on day 15 of our of our slow down journey. And the purpose of this journey is to really just get reacclimated to what God is trying to do in our lives. And so if you haven't joined us, it's not too late. You can still jump in. But if you've been walking with us, we pray that you've been able to experience some slow rhythms of God with you up until this point. We're going to jump into the word. And I just have, uh, want to pray again as we open the word. Father, we just thank you again for uh, just this chance to worship you, to praise you, to glorify your name, to lift our voices as many of us are struggling in various areas. We're just angry, frustrated, upset, discouraged, depressed. There are many who are still trying to wrap their mind around everything that's going on in this country. There are some right now who are still battling, not some, many who are battling the coronavirus. God, we pray for healing for them. God, there are some who are in their marriages and their finances and just the various domains of their life. They're looking for more. They're wanting more. And I just pray that you would step in in this moment right now and that you would speak to us, that we would find our center in Christ today. And so we thank you, God. Speak to us, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I'm excited about today's word as I... Um, just open the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me to Matthew and chapter 14 is where we're going to begin today. Um, and as you're turning there in your Bibles to Matthew or maybe on your phones to Matthew chapter 14, just wanted to let you know a few things that are coming up that we're excited about that here at Relove, we are in just a little while going to launch our life groups. And so we are super excited about that. If you haven't signed up for a life group yet, we want to encourage you, strongly encourage you to do that. These life groups are an opportunity for you to get connected to other individuals who are in Christ. We're not perfect. We don't got it all together, right? But we are believers. We believe that Christ is perfect and that through his Holy Spirit, he helps us work out life. And so if you want to be connected to another group of individuals who are trying to figure this thing out and trying to grow and get stronger, who are trying to form and to be transformed into the image of God through his Holy Spirit, then I just want to invite you to join us in our life groups. And you can go to our website, relove.church, and get more information about that. At the same time, 
I'm excited because um, on next week, um, we're actually going to conclude our 21-day slowdown journey together. Uh, our goal is to be here at the church, outside, in the courtyard, parking lot area, socially distant, and we just want to have a kind of a prayer, praise and praise and worship prayer gathering at 4 p.m. next week, next Saturday. So if you're in the Orange County area and you want to come out and you want to just kind of connect and conclude our 21-day journey, I'm going to bring a short word. We're going to have some songs and it's going to be just a time of kind of celebration and reflection. I want to invite you to come out and be a part of that, a part of that experience with us next Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. And uh, if you aren't subscribed to, our, to our, our newsletter or to our text message, please do that. You can do that on our website as well because we'll be sending out information specifically about that, about that event next week. So if you have your Bibles, let's, let's turn and let's jump into the Word of God. Matthew chapter 14, and I want to read for you. Um, starting with verse 22, and it's a familiar passage to, I'm sure, most of us, um, but I think there are some lessons from this text that we can learn uh, that will help us during this, during this season. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, the word of God says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fixing, excuse me, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, and when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them once. Jesus spoke to them at once, verse 27. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. When Peter called to him, Lord, it's, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong waves and the wind, he was terrified and he began to sink. He shouted out, save me, Lord. Jesus, verse 31, immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped and then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You know, I've shared several stories about my children throughout my time here, and they definitely are great sermon material uh, as I am trying to raise them to step into uh, a, a higher level of independence um, so that they can start to do things on their own and start to be a little bit more self-determined in how they move through life. The goal, as many of parents out there know, is to get your children to the point where they no longer need you. Amen, somebody in the chat. Just say amen. They no longer need you to make breakfast. Do I got a witness? 
in the house. They no longer need your help to get dressed in the morning. I can't get a witness in the house of God from anybody. They no longer need you to help them with their homework. Come on now. Come on now, say amen. They no longer need you to wipe them when they're done with the bathroom. Y'all don't want to talk to me up in here, right? To get them to a point where they no longer need you. Now, the challenge, though, is that you want them to always love you, right? I want you to love me. I want you to love me, but I don't want you to need me. Like, that's the point of parenting. And yet, where my wife and I are, even this morning, we are still in that point, especially with my youngest, my four-year-old, where she very much so loves us and she very much so needs us. And yet what I found specifically with her is that her neediness of us often disrupts us. Oh, y'all just gonna feel me in just a minute. I'm about to preach this thing. Her neediness of us disrupts us. And so every single night she will come in around two o'clock in the morning. I've told y'all this before and y'all gonna suffer with me through this thing. She will come in and she will get into our bed. She will stretch her legs out across our bed, not laying how you're supposed to lay in a bed, but she will lay the opposite direction. So her head is on my wife and her feet are on me. And every single night we will get her up and put her back in her bed. And yet she will get up again and come back to our room. And two or three times a night this happens. And my wife and I, primarily my wife, pray for her. She just gets to the point where she's just like, you know what, I just can't anymore. And so she will just let her sleep. But the way that she sleeps, my youngest daughter, oh God bless her soul, is that she likes to put her knees in our back and her elbows in our throat. And so her need, her needing us, her needing us in the middle of the night is actually disrupting us. And I ask her every single morning, I say, why is it that you can't sleep in your own bed? And every single morning she says the same thing, daddy, there are monsters in my room. And I tell her, baby, there are no monsters. Show me. She's like, no, no, there are, there's monsters in my room. They don't come out till the nighttime. Like that old song, the freaks come out. Okay, let me not go down there with you. They don't come out till the nighttime. But she says, there are monsters. And, I'm, and she literally says, I am scared at nighttime. And so she is determined to come to our room. And there's something, there's something, there is something, um, uh, some type of security that she finds by coming to our room when she's scared. There's some type of reassurance that, that she finds, even though we reassure her with our words, she's really not reassured until she's in our presence. There is some type of comfort that she finds, even though we try to comfort her with our words. We'll pick her up in the middle of the night and we'll walk her back to her room and we'll say, baby, you're okay. We'll turn on a little nightlight. In fact, for Christmas, I brought her one of those little star lights that put stars on the ceiling and it kind of lights up the room, but that's not enough. The stars and the night lights are not enough. I can turn on the hallway light and even that is not enough. My words alone are not enough. She wants to be in our presence. And so she wins every night. She wins. And as I think about her and just her journey and her growth and her mother and I, our, 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 our attempt to try to cut the apron strings and get her to the point where she will begin to sleep on her own. And if anyone out there has any tips, don't, holler, don't, don't hesitate to holler at me and just shoot me a DM. My wife thinks, about we sh thinks we should just lock the door. I think that's a little cruel, but you all let me know. Whatever's worked for you all, we are open to your suggestions. But as we are trying to get her to grow and to mature and to be able to sleep through the night on her own with 
without coming to us. What I'm learning through um, this stage of her life is that when you are finding yourself in an environment where you are in unfamiliar territory and it feels as though the ground around you is not certain and it seems as though um, um, it's unsure of what's going to happen and you just kind of feel like like you're, you're rocking in the boat a little bit. All of us, when we find ourselves in that position, we look for surety. We look for comfort. We look for reassurance. We want to know that we know that we know that it's going to be all right. And so many of us, we have certain coping mechanisms that we find ourselves engaging in that somehow bring us certainty or security that it's going to be okay. And this, I think, is natural and normal for all of us. When we're four years old, we go and we crawl in our parents' bedrooms. But when you're 40 years old, you might go and do something else. You might go and call a friend and talk to a friend and try to help them, convince them to give you some comforting words. When you're 40 years old and you find yourself in financial trouble or you find yourself in some type of marital difficulty, you'll reach out to people trying to find some type of stability in the midst of in stability. I think we know this all too well, specifically my family who lives here in California. We are fortunate not to have to deal with hurricanes. We are fortunate not to have to deal with tornadoes. But the one thing we do have to deal with are earthquakes. Do I got a witness? We have to deal with earthquakes. And while earthquakes, we have been fortunate enough, at least over the last 20, 30 years, not to have a major earthquake, knock on wood somewhere, that has brought any major devastation to our country or to our state, we know potentially that the big one is coming. And when you think about earthquakes, what's interesting is that the thing about an earthquake is that unlike a tornado, and unlike a hurricane, you don't know when it's going to come. It literally comes at any point, at any time. The earth, the ground beneath you will just start shaking. And there is literally, Rachel, nothing you can do to get it to stop. I've had my fair share for the last eight years that I've lived here of earthquakes. The biggest one I felt, I felt like was earlier or kind of in the middle of last year. And I woke up in the middle of the night and their entire house was shaking. And I woke up my daughters. My wife was still at work. She didn't get off till midnight. Um, she was still at work. And I woke up around 1130 and the entire house was shaking. And it was literally probably one of the most terrifying things I've ever felt. Because while you hold on to the bed or you hold on to your nightstand or you hold on to something, there is really nothing you can do about it. Earthquakes have this effect upon us that as soon as the house or the ground or the foundation starts shaking, we want to reach out and grab onto something because the one thing you want and the one thing I want and the one thing, George, you want and the one thing that we all want in this place is we want security. We want to know that when all hell is breaking loose around us, it will be okay. And the reality is, is that the events that have transpired over the last two weeks in our country, and largely for many of us over the last four years, even for many, many more of us 
for most of our lifetime in this country constantly leave us in a place where we feel like we lack security. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if someone's going to come for us. We don't know the political volatility, volatility that we're experiencing here, what the, role, what the fallout will be. And so we are looking and the world and America and our families and our friends and you and me are looking for security. We are literally looking for an anchor. And what I want to suggest to you today in my message is that we do have an anchor. This is something that I'm sure many of you all know, and so it, it may not be familiar, but I just would invite you just to indulge me for a little while because I want to just go in a little bit different direction. So in our text today, we read specifically in Matthew in chapter 14, where the disciples find themselves in a particular situation where they are out on a boat, and they are out on a boat in a lake. It is a familiar lake because they've been here before. They, we know that most of the disciples are fishermen, so they are not they are not um, unfamiliar with storms. They are not unfamiliar with water. They are not unfamiliar with, 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 with everything that goes on in the world of a fisherman. But here they find themselves again in a very unsettling position as Jesus now calls them to go out and push out and to cross over the lake to go to the other side. We read it here. In verse 22, the text says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side. And while they are crossing to the other side, the Bible says that, verse 24, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, I just want to put a pin right here and just connect a few dots for you. So we know that Jesus is the one that told them to cross over to the other side. And we also know from the text that Jesus was not in the boat with them. Jesus told them to cross over. He told them to go forward. He told them to push out and that he would meet them probably the next day. And, 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 but for whatever reason, he was not, chose not to stay in the boat with them. And so while they are following Jesus's directives, in fact, a storm comes and a storm comes that is of such a nature where they find themselves in trouble because the waves are billowing. Here they are in a situation that is not their own doing. They're not in the midst of this storm because they wanted to go across. They're not in the midst of the storm because it was their idea to cross over. No, they are in the midst of the storm because they are actually following the direction and the directives of Jesus. Now, I just want to pin a, put, a, put a pin right there and just hopefully apply this text to someone's lives because some of you right now, and I've been there before, you are going through something right now and it's not because you, you made a bad decision. It's not because you decided to do something contrary to wisdom. It's not because you went against sound counsel. You are actually following directions. You are actually listening to the voice of God. You are actually doing what God told you to do and yet even now, in the midst of following and being obedient to the word of God, you find yourself in a very precarious situation where it seems as though your life, your finances, your family, your health are on the line and you're not sure what's going to happen because you were obedient. Let me just tell you, let me just remind you, let me just reassure you that just because you follow God doesn't mean everything will always work out. Oh, no, we know the text in Romans tells us all things work together for good. But that doesn't mean that all things will always be good. 
Sometimes you're going to go through some mess. Sometimes you're going to lose some loved ones. Sometimes you're going to lose a job. Sometimes you might have to suffer in your body, in your mind, in your finances. Sometimes you will go through some mess, even in your obedience. I mean, can we just go through the role? Let's just take a moment and look through, through, the, through the historical text, and we can find story after story, instance after instance of a man or a woman who found themselves following the voice of God, listening to the directions of God, being obedient to, his, to their word, and they fi- still found themselves fighting giants, fighting lions, in fiery furnaces, doing the very thing that they thought that if they followed God, somehow God would prevent them from having to experience this. And yet here the disciples still are in a very similar situation where they're listening to the voice of God and they still find themselves in a storm. Now, now, now this storm, interestingly enough, should not, should not scare them. It should not bother them. It should not, it should not uh, uh, trouble them. Um, in fact, they should be laughing in this storm. And the text doesn't tell us their demeanor other than that they were in trouble because they were far away from the shore because a storm had come and that they were fighting heavy waves. But I'm just even still perplexed at why in this situation, the disciples still were fighting. Why were they fighting? I'm somewhat intrigued at their demeanor. Because it wasn't just, what, six chapters previous that the disciples found themselves in the exact same storm. Uh, on the exact same night. Listen, six chapters previous in Matthew chapter 8. We're in Matthew chapter 14. Well, in Matthew chapter 8, the text tells us the disciples, verse 23, that they got into a boat And that verse 24, suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so the boat was covered with waves, and and Jesus this time was in the boat, and they they were concerned, they were perplexed, they were fearful. They woke him up saying, Jesus, do you not care that we perish? And Jesus looked around and said, oh, ye of little faith, um, um, why are you so fearful? He stood up and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and the disciples marveled, and they said to Jesus in Matthew 8, How is it that this can be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Fast forward, the disciples in chapter 14 find themselves again in the very same situation. This time, however, Jesus is not in the boat. I'm just wondering if maybe Jesus sent them out on the lake uh, across the sea um, this time specifically because he wanted to see if their faith had grown from last time. I just wonder, maybe Jesus said, you know what? I was with them last time in chapter eight and they were stressed and they were fussing and they got all caught up. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put them through that same situation, but this time I'm gonna remove myself from the situation. I'm not even gonna be present physically with them. And I just wanna see how they respond. If they get fearful, if they get worried, or if they can literally smile at the storm, if they can stand up and maybe even imitate me and say, peace, be still. I, I wonder what their, if there's been any growth. 
I wonder if there's any been transfer, any transformation. I wonder if they have learned anything. And, and what this tells us, chapter 14, in light of chapter 8, is that sometimes God will allow the same situation to happen to our lives to see if there is any growth, any progress if our faith has matured, if we are able to stand stronger on his word because of what we learned last time in the last season, many of us, we may be going through the exact same thing that we just came out of and God is trying to see, are you growing? Are you gonna rely on what I did last time? Are you still going to default to fear? Are you still gonna default to an uncertainty and a lack of security and to a a worriness? Are you still gonna default to not trusting my promise. So the text doesn't tell us exactly what their disposition was, but the text does tell us that they felt as though they were in trouble. And then interestingly enough, Jesus isn't in the boat, but Jesus then comes walking on the water. About verse 25, three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, and when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, It is a ghost. Jesus spoke to them at once and said, Don't be afraid, take courage. I am here. Last time Jesus was with them in the boat, this time Jesus came walking on the water towards the boat. And when they saw what they were unsure of, but they were definitely confident that it was a ghost, when they saw this ghost-like figure, they cried out in fear. And Jesus reassured him while they were in the storm. I can imagine that their senses were somewhat heightened and extremely sensitive because they were just also trying to save themselves from going under because the storm was raging, that maybe they didn't get a good chance to look real clearly to see who was there. All they could, I can imagine, see is that at the corner of their eye, they saw what appeared to be a ghost-like figure, not in the boat, but walking on the water, and they were afraid. And Jesus comes and he reassures them that when you are going through a storm, Do not be alarmed. I am not far behind. I just want someone to be encouraged this morning and reminded that when you are going through a storm, have no fear because Jesus is not far behind. He sees you. He knows exactly where you are. His eye is on you. You might feel alone, but you are not alone. You might feel forsaken, but you are not forsaken. You might feel like like he doesn't love you, but you are not unloved. He is with you, he sees you, and he is walking with you, and he is walking towards you. So So here Jesus comes, and he gets into the boat with them, and when he gets into the boat with them, uh, uh, when he doesn't get into the boat at this point, he just comes walking towards them, and when Jesus says to them, uh, uh, take courage, it's not, I'm not a ghost, uh, I am here. Then verse 28 says, then Peter called, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on 
water. Peter, we know, has some, some courage. Peter is that same one who cut off the soldier's ear. Peter is the same one who was boisterous and brash and loud and was like, God, I will not deny you. Peter was that one who was always the first to leap before he looked. He was the risk taker. Peter's like, yo, sign me up, right? Like, if that's really you, prove to me that that is you and let me come walk to you. And so Jesus beckons him to come and to walk to him. Yes, verse 29, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards God, Jesus. Now, I just want to stop and I just want to juxtapose the two, these two boat scenarios because in Matthew chapter eight, Jesus is in the boat with them and they are in the safety and security of a, we presume, a wooden craft even though the craft is being overwhelmed with water and being overwhelmed by the storms and the waves, they at least have the safety and security of a wooden craft. Even though Jesus is sleeping in the craft, they still have this wooden boat. This time, however, in Matthew 14, Peter is of the nature where he's like, you know what, if it's really you, I want you to come, I want you to allow me to come out and walk on the water. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus again is trying to teach the disciples a lesson. I just wonder if maybe Jesus knew that if he sent them out on the boat and then he came walking on the water after the boat in the midst of the storm, that one of the disciples would be, would be bold enough, would be courageous enough to say, you know what, I see you walking on water. Let me come out and walk on water as well. I just think that maybe Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to use this as a lesson, an object lesson, a teaching opportunity to really help my disciples and to help my followers for generations to come to understand what it means to really be anchored in Christ. Because in Matthew and chapter 8, while Jesus was in the boat with them, the disciples still had the security of the boat. They still had the security of the boat. Even though the boat was being overwhelmed, even though the boat was being, uh, their life was being threatened in the boat, they still had the security of a system, of a structure, of a place that they could hold on to while they, were, while they were fighting against the storm. But in Matthew chapter 14, I think Jesus comes walking on the water because Jesus is possibly trying to teach them a lesson that there will be some times in your life where you have to leave the security of a system and still trust that I will be your anchor. Okay, let me, let me come and get you, right? Let me come and get you. You see, it's one thing to go through something, uh, and yet you know that you still have your 401 that you can fall back on. It's one thing to go through something and still know that you got your mom that you can call, your dad that you can call, your parents that you can rely on. It's one thing to go through a storm and realize that you still got friends who have your back. It's one thing to, to get even, to go so far to say to have coronavirus and you're sick, but to know that, you know what, I got people who are praying for me. I got family and friends who are with me. It's one thing to go through the storms of life and to know that while you are still going through a storm and it's not easy, you still at least have the safety of a system 
called a boat with family and friends in that system and in that structure with you that will hopefully get you through that storm. But it's an entirely different thing to go through a storm and not have any safety net, not have any security. Your 401k is gone. Your family is gone. Your friends are gone. And you are literally standing on the water. You are literally standing on the storm of life all by yourself. That is something entirely different. And it, it, it feels as though that Jesus is trying to drive home this point to them that, yeah, it's one thing to know that I'm in the boat with you. It's another thing altogether to trust me outside of all of your man-made systems that you have instituted and implemented in your life that will hopefully keep you safe while you go through storms. Jesus is like, listen, there's nothing wrong with a retirement plan. There's nothing wrong with having money in the bank, right? Wise people do that. There's nothing wrong with having family and friends around you that'll keep you when you're going through the midst of a storm, right? Good, good, solid, wise people do that. But what do you, what do, you do when all of that is gone? What do you do when literally your safety net, your security, your, your, everything that you have had in your life is gone? Will you still be able to walk with me. Peter is here, and Peter is walking. He's walking on the water, and as long as the water is calm, he's good. But the text says that as soon as the water gets a little rough, verse 30, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, the text says he was terrified and he began to sink because this time, unlike last time, he didn't have a boat underneath him to catch him. This time, unlike last time, he wasn't surrounded by the disciples that they could work together to figure out some type of strategic plan to move them through this process. This time, unlike last time, Peter was literally all by himself. And I don't know if you've ever tried to walk on water. And I don't know the sinking rate that Peter was experiencing. If he dropped like a rock or if he started to slowly go down like he was in quicksand. I can only imagine that Peter began to drop like a rock in the water to the point where he went under maybe a couple times and he came up a couple times. He went under a couple times because he had taken his eyes off Jesus. And, and in, in my sanctified imagination, I just imagine that one time when Peter comes up from the water, he cries out, God, save me, I'm sinking. And Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs him, verse 31. And he says to him, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Now, now, now remember, Peter is outside of the boat, he is outside of the boat, so he does literally not have any source of stability. He is literally walking on something that from a physical perspective, a temporal perspective, he should not be able to walk on. It is impossible to walk on water. But here Peter is literally doing the impossible Without a safety net, without a, comf a comfy comfort blanket, right? Without any source of stability or structure or system that's going to preserve him if something goes haywire. He is literally depending 100% on God's word. And I think in this moment that God is trying to teach us that, listen, as we come out of 2020, we've come out of a hard time. 
And many of us have lost some things. But as this world begins to continue to move hastily towards the second coming of Christ, it, it, it will only get worse before it gets better. And I'm not, I'm not hoping or, or praying that 2021 is worse. No, I, I pray it gets better. But from a prophetic perspective, we have to acknowledge the reality that it will only get worse before it gets better. And you and I have to be able to get to that point where we have the, the, the courage, the strength of mind, the faith, the presence of, of, God's, of, of God's power in us that we can literally live lives without the systems of this world, without financial systems, without um, interpersonal relationship systems, without without jobs and support system, that we can literally live a life solely dependent on Jesus as our anchor. That when we're going through all of the drama and all of the, the hell that life is, is often brings to us, that we can say, you know what, I'm going through a lot, and yeah, I wish I had people I can rely on, and yeah, I wish I could, I, I could depend on this and that and the other, but, but right now, it's just me and Christ. And he has become the source, literally, the source of my strength, not, not Christ and a boat, not Christ and my 401, not Christ and my good job, not Christ and all of my friends who support me, not Christ, no, 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 no. It's literally Christ has become the only source of my strength. That Christ is my anchor. That he is the one that keeps me and holds me and carries me while I am going through whatever storm and whatever difficulty I am battling. That Christ is enough. Uh, I think that when I look at the life of Christ and the miracles that he performed and as how he moved throughout people's lives, I believe that Christ was that type of individual where he was constantly trying to reaffirm. Um, no, he was constantly trying to establish himself as the anchor in people's lives. I think about how he dealt with a woman who was caught in adultery and everyone turned against her in John 8. Everyone turned against her. Everyone had their, had their stones ready to throw at her. Everyone was ready to condemn her. And yet Jesus stood up and said, you know what? When all of your family family and friends and even all of the systems of this world turn their back on you and are ready to take you out, I will be that person who will be your anchor. So he stands over her and he says, listen, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I am your anchor. I can think about the man who was crippled for uh, what so many uh, years where he was at the pool of Bethesda and Jesus shows up and is like, hey, what's going on in your life? And the man's like, I have no one to let me down. And Christ says, you know what? Take up your bed and walk. When you have no one to support you, and it seems as though no one can help you. And you've, been a, and you've been in a condition for 20, 30, 40 years. And it seems like everyone has thrown in the towel on you. Christ is the one who still says, I am your anchor. When Jesus showed up and he started taking that boy's few pieces of fish and few pieces of bread and started multiplying them and feeding the 5,000, I think in my mind's eye, Christ is saying, listen, I want to convince and I want to convey 
to this crowd here and to my disciples that even when you feel like you are on your very last, I can take your very last and I can multiply it and it'll be enough to sustain you and everyone around you that I, even in the midst of lack, can and will be your anchor. I think many of us on at least a theoretical level, we acknowledge that Christ is our anchor. And that because Christ is our anchor, we, we have some semblance of certainty because we have the promises and the promises of God are also with us and they serve as an anchor and we have our family and our friends around us and our church community and that serves as an anchor. I think on some level, many of us have a, 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 have a uh, 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 what's the word? Um, we have a, a, a cognitive understanding that Christ theoretically is an anchor. And that when we go through some hard times, yeah, he does show himself to be strong. He is an anchor in hard times as well. But I feel like Christ wants to, even in this moment, take us a little step further. Because I don't think it's enough just to know that Christ is an anchor. I don't think it's enough just to know cognitively or even just from a very abstract level that, yeah, I can know I can depend on Christ and I can sing a few songs and I can say a few prayers and that Christ will be with me. I think for believers living in 2021 with everything that has happened and what I believe prophetically, everything that will happen, we have to take a step further as it relates to making Christ truly our anchor. Because the question for me that I want to ask you today is not if Christ is your anchor. But the question I want to ask you is how does Christ anchor you? How, how does Christ anchor you? Oh, I, I, I'm with you. I know that you believe, most of you all believe that the word of God and the promises of God are our precious promises. Second Peter chapter one, verse four tells us that. And that he has given us these promises that we can be partakers of his divine nature. We know the word of God is a promise and we know that God is uh, what Hebrews, I think it's chapter six says that he is immutable, that his word is immutable, meaning that he doesn't change. Immutable means it does not change, that God's word, God's promise, God's hope, it does not change. It is immutable, unlike mutant. You remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they would change. Well, God's word is immutable. We know that, that, that there is a hope that is steadfast and secure, and that because of this hope, we have the confidence that through God's word, he will be there. We also know Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 tells us that he says that, you know what, I'm gonna establish a church, and on this, this church, the gates of hell won't prevail, and he actually calls this ecclesia that he's going to establish he says, I'm going to establish a rock. He says, upon this rock, the rock, something solid, the word of God, the name of God. He's literally trying to convey to us that, listen, me being the son of Christ, the Messiah, that is the rock that should ground your life, that should serve as a foundation. We know that. We know that Christ is a rock and that this church is built on that rock and that your faith, by and large, is built on that rock. I'm not questioning whether you believe that Christ is your anchor. What I'm questioning is how does Christ anchor you? Because similarly, as I mentioned two weeks ago, that many of us 
theoretically and theologically believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we desire to experience his Holy Spirit transform how we interact with our neighbors and how we interact with our enemies. But many of us, while we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, many of us are not walking the pace of Jesus. And so because we are living this fast pace, running, 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 moving, 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 going, 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 we don't have time to truly experience the peace of God because our our pace is not conducive for peace. So my question is not, is Christ your anchor? But my question is, how does Christ anchor you? Because it's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to have a practice that anchors you every single day. Okay, I don't want to lose you. I want you to stay with me. So, so, so let's just look real quick at the life of Jesus. We know that Jesus was a busy man, right? He accomplished a whole lot in the three and a half years he was here. So much so that I think it's the end of the book of John. I think it's John where he says that, that, that greater, there, there's not enough books in the world to contain all the things that Christ has accomplished. That even in his little three and a half year ministry, he did more than most of us, you and I would ever accomplish in the, in the 30, 40, 60, 70, 80 years that you and I have been alive, that Jesus was a man of the people. He was a man who was constantly on the go. He was a man who was moving and working all of the time. Um, he was a man in high demand and he only lived three and a half years. But yet something we learn about Jesus is that Jesus had a practice that anchored him. While he was literally the anchor, he also had something he did daily that anchored him. I mean, we actually, we just read it earlier in the text in Matthew chapter 14. The text says Jesus had just got done feeding the 5,000, right? He had just been in this environment where he was around a mass of people, not, in, not including men, uh, women and children. He fed all of these individuals. And the text says in verse 22 of Matthew 14, Immediately after this, he told his disciples to get into the boat and to cross over. And then verse 23 says, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Jesus had a daily practice that anchored him, that that centered him, that, that, that aligned him with the will and the purpose and the plan of the Father for him. Jesus had a practice of daily. In fact, I think it's another text in Mark chapter one. The text tells us so often that Jesus would get up uh, a great while before day. In fact, the New Living Translation says, before daybreak, Jesus would get up and he would go to an isolated place and there he spent time praying. What is your daily practice that anchors you? What anchors you? Do you actually set aside time every morning? And I'm not talking about one of those drive-by times where you're just getting up and you throw on the Bible as you're getting dressed and you're doing your hair and maybe the Bible app is reading itself. I'm not talking about one of those drive-by times where you're in the car and you're on the 91, that demonic 91, and you're listening to some, some Christian music. No, I mean, all of that is good and all of that has its role and all of that is better than nothing. What I'm talking about is what is that practice in your life every single day or at least every single week that you engage in that literally anchors you? 
where you just get in that zone and you just have a moment of silence and peace where you quiet the noise around you, you quiet the storm around you and it's just you and the Father, it's just you and the Spirit, it's just you and the Son and you are in that moment able to just find your place of equanimity. You're able to find your place, your equilibrium. You're able to find your center. In that moment, you get grounded. In that moment, you get you get reassured. In that moment, you get anchored. I think about my family. My wife and I have been talking about this lately, how she works these crazy night shifts, and I'm super busy with everything I have going on. My daughters are busy with everything they have going on. Yes, at four years old, they got a lot going on. and six years old, they got a lot going on. And sometimes it feels like our family is just kind of like ships in the night passing where we just kind of touch high five, and then I'm running down court, she's running up court, and then we, you know, high five again, and we're not really able to come together, especially since COVID has taken place where now more than ever, there's not like a corporate gathering where we can come together and just spend family time together. Pre-COVID, I believe that for many of you, the Sabbath may have been a centering or worship church may have been an anchor moment with you. But because we're now in COVID where we, the church is fractured or fragmented and we're all over the place and we're unable to come together, the question is, what is going to anchor you? So my wife and I have been talking about this and we said, you know what? We need to really start a daily, if nothing else, a weekly practice, not so much for our spiritual lives. Like we have our own spiritual time where we get anchored, but what's going to anchor our family? Because I think the reality is that for a lot of couples and marriages and for a lot of families out there that, that some of the stress, a lot of the stress we experience is because we are constantly running, we are constantly working, we are constantly climbing, and we don't have time just to get anchored as a family. Eating dinner together at the table as like old school traditional as that might sound, right? Not in the car while you're on your way to soccer practice. Not, not like when you're picking someone up and you're on your way to grab some Chick-fil-A. God knows I love Chick-fil-A. And we are just um, in between appointments. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we sit around the table and we get anchored. What is it that anchors you? What is it that centers your family, that centers your core? For Jesus, it was literally him every day getting up while it was still dark. That's four o'clock in the morning, our time, right? Sun comes up around 5.36. That's 4.30, five in the morning. And Jesus going to a place where he's all by himself and he gets anchored. And it was out of that anchoring place, that centering place, it was out of that that he was then able to go forward and to walk on the sea. It was out of that place that he was then able to go forward and actually raise Peter up from sinking in the water. It was from that place that Jesus was able to go forward and do so many of the many miracles. We think that it was the fact that Jesus was God that allowed him to perform all of the miracles that he did. No, no, no. Jesus, we know that he did not use his divinity when he walked on this earth, but it was his connection with the Father 
And that connection with the Father was not just theoretically, it wasn't just some abstract cognitive, yeah, I know I'm connected to the Father. No, every single day he got reconnected. So throughout this 21-day journey, we have been in a position where we have been trying to move people to slow down and to get re-anchored. That is the purpose of why we've been doing this. Because we want you to quiet the noise and to find a posture, a position, a time where your soul can be anchored in the Lord every single day. So that when you find your support system is no longer there. And as you find your structure that you've developed, your finances and your job and your education and your degrees, when all of that no longer is enough to keep you afloat, you will still have an anchor that is steadfast, immovable, that is sure, an anchor that will hold you in the midst of this crazy world we live in. I want to invite the musicians to come and to play for us. So what is the daily practice that anchors you? What is the daily practice that you can this week say, you know what, every single day, I'm going to go on a walk around my neighborhood by myself, no phone, no distractions, no media. And in that moment, I am going to just allow the spirit of God to speak to me. I'm going to speak to the father and I'm going to find my center. What is it that you can engage in daily, if, if not daily, at least weekly, that you can engage in where you can say, you know what, this is my, this is my zen, <laughs> to use a Middle Eastern, like this is my place of tranquility. This is my place where I get reconnected to the Father. I want you to find that place. Because if you don't intentionally find that place, then you will get so busy running to and fro, caught up so often in the hustle and bustle of life that you'll find yourself. Yeah, you know that Jesus is Lord and you, and you probably pray on your way to work and you probably pray in between assignments and you might pray on your lunch break and, there's, and that's great. But what I want, I want you to find is a Sabbath for your soul. A Sabbath, a quiet place a time where it is just you and God and he anchors you. Your soul is anchored. Your soul, which is the seat of your, of your, of your spirit, your emotions, your consciousness, your soul, which is the seat of your worry and your stress when you get depressed and anxious, that is coming from your soul. But if your soul is anchored, when all of life is blowing wind around you, your soul will be steadfast. I'm not talking about one of those anchors that's a buoy. <laughs> Y'all know what a buoy is. It, it just bobs and weaves with the water. No, 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 no. No, we don't need any buoy faith out there. We need a strong, steadfast anchor that we can drop down in the middle of the storm and it will not be moved. And because our anchor is not moved, we won't be moved. Psalms tells us, 46 verse 10, be still. Be still. 
and know that I am God. This week, there's a lot going on. We know the inauguration is coming up. We don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of chaos, I can only imagine, that's going to surround that event. There's going to be a lot of stress upon this nation. There's already a lot of stress on this nation. The, the, the COVID numbers are going up. There's a lot of stress in our hospitals and the ICUs. Some of you all are, are battling just loss of work, loss of employment, family who are sick, friends who are sick, sickness in your own home. What we need right now more than ever is to be still and to find that thing, that space, that place, that time that will anchor us. So I want to pray with you. They're going to come and sing a song and the words are going to be on the screen. I would invite you just to make this song your prayer as they sing with us. Father, in the name of Jesus, may we find that thing in you that anchors us. It anchors us to your word. It anchors us to your promise so that when the storms of life are blowing, we can say it is well with our soul because we are anchored in the Lord. Ah, oh, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name.